Thank you, Pastor Bob. And am I on? Am I on? Can you hear me? Okay. No? There we go. Uh, well, thank you, praise team. Good to see Mike up here with his uh, one arm. Uh, and uh, he can sing with one arm. He doesn't have to be strumming a guitar to sing. And praying for you, Mike, as you recovery. And praying for all these little ones at the uh, children's. Uh, you know, it's, um, you always, uh, you, hate to, you hate to see these kids at children's hospital. And we got four of them right now that are recovering. And just keep them all in your prayer. And um, I talked about something this morning that, that I think is, uh, is very important to us in our tradition. And, uh, you know, we've, we've been dealing with this, this ideal of, of being a true follower of Jesus and not just a fan of Jesus. And, and, and sometimes to be a fan uh, can can be basically to be peripheral, uh, to to be a part of a church and 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 on Sunday morning, and it, but it does not affect your Monday through Saturdays, and and so you could be here on a Sunday morning and 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 really though not be affected throughout your week. It, it would be just only a a one day thing. It's it's kind of doing your duty. It's maybe pleasing someone else, or or maybe it makes you feel good about yourself, and 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 that that's one way that you look at someone. And they're really not following Jesus, but they're just simply a fan of the ideal of Jesus. And this morning we're going to talk about something that, that may be a little bit more difficult. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, it, it may touch us closer to home in our tradition. And, and I hope as I, as I unwrap this and, and, I, and I talk about uh, this topic that you'll you'll have an open mind and you'll you'll listen to what I'm trying to say and and understand that I'm not trying to lessen the values of our church, but I'm trying to deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, you know the, the the point of all we do is not to create a culture of Christianity. The, the point of all we do in the church is not to follow all the rules necessarily. But the point of all that we do is to fall more and more in love with Jesus Christ and know him better. And so it's possible to create a culture of Christianity. It's possible to create a culture in a wrong use of the word, if you ask me. A culture of holiness without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, it's possible to follow all the rules and know the do's and don'ts and not really know Jesus Christ. And quite frankly, there is a danger in churches like ours for people to be around the culture long enough that the lingo, the language, the rules are clear, but the relationship is lacking. And so before we go any further, let, let, me, let me be clear. I'm not lessening values, but I'm calling us to a deeper relationship if we're not living in that relationship with Jesus Christ. See, see it's possible to be a rule keeper, but not be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I'll, I'll be up front. That if I, I have experienced in my past churches... And, and I've not experienced that here, but I've experienced churches in our tradition that you have to call legalistic. 
As I was a child growing up, we were, we were part of a church. And I, I'm not going to say the name of the church, and, and you, you could probably figure it out if you wanted. But it was the most legalistic church I've ever been in in my entire life, and it remains so. It is just highly legalistic in the application of rules. Um, Nothing wrong with this. If, if this is your preference, if this is how you want to be, that, that it's fine. But, but, you know, ladies had the long hair, but it was all on top of their head. I never have figured that out. Why, if you wear the long hair, why do you just let it go out and, and flow? You know, my, my, my grandmother was a part of that church, and she had long hair. I'll never forget when I saw her hair down. It freaked me out. I mean, it was almost to the floor. She almost looked like it, uh, you know. She's, she's combing that hair, and it was all the way. I mean, I think, oh, my goodness. How, how do you get that all up there? You know that long sleeves, nothing wrong with that. If that's your preference, if you want to wear long sleeves. And, uh, but, but that's not the definition of Christianity. That's not the definition of following Jesus Christ. You know, you, uh, th- th- this church, you know, the, 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 the no, no combination of food in, in, in the church. As a matter of fact, if you go back to that church now, they have a fellowship hall, but it's literally six inches from the church. There's a six-inch gap because somehow if that building was six inches closer, I'm not trying to belittle this, but folks, these are kind of the rules that you kind of see. In the 70s, this church had all sorts of controversy in it. You want to know what it's about? The picture of Jesus had long hair. I'll be controversial here. That's the goofiest thing I've ever heard in my life. People are dying and going to hell and your neighbors are lost and you're going to spend your time and energy debating a fictional picture of Jesus and whether his hair was long or short? You know the rules. You guys have been around enough. And and, and folks, I'm not belittling it. It's fine if if this is the way you want to, to live and you think it's important. Uh, Mom and dad left this church, and, and, and the pastor came to visit. And if you knew my mom and dad, you don't get any better than my mom and dad, spiritually speaking. And, and to protect their kids, because they saw where this was going, that we went to a, another Nazarene church that, that didn't focus on some of these things quite a bit and, and, uh, or as much. And, and so the, the pastor of that church we'd left was still visiting mom and dad, and and um, he was visiting my aunt, and my aunt shared that he had said, you know, uh, Glenda, I went and saw somebody that used to be part of this church, and you know, they were wearing pants. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about that. And so she told my mom, and my mom said, Glenda, that was me. And she goes, I was on the hill. We lived in the country, and we had a hill. Uh, that mom would plant flowers on. And she said, I had a dress on, but I put pants on under the dress <laughs> for modesty. See, when that's the focus, you can go all sorts of crazy, extreme places. And, and I'll say this, and, and, and you can disagree with me, and, and that's fine, but let me tell you, if our doctrine if the doctrine of holiness is a doctrine of restriction, then I'm missing the point. 
The doctrine of holiness is a doctrine of freedom and love and grace and mercy. And if it's all about rules, if it's all about rules and that's really what it is, I guess I kind of miss what God did on Pentecost where he empowered his people to serve. Some of you have experienced that in the past. And some of you have been part of that. And the dilemma is this. Some of the greatest people that I've known in my life, that the deepest spiritual people I've known in my life have kind of thought that way, personally. And I'll be honest, some of the hardcore, worst people that I, that I wouldn't trust to tell anything to have lived that way. But there's that mixture, and, and so you look back, and so there's the fond memories. I, I think of my grandmother. Let me tell you what. If my grandmother found a deck of cards in her house and you brought them in, you were liable to get killed. Anybody else have a grandmother like that? My, my grandmother would never, never had a television in her house. Gr- Grandma would come to our house and watch us, and if we had the TV on, she would sit with her back to it the whole time and say, oh, that's awful. That's awful. Until we turned it off. And we were watching really bad things like Andy Griffith, okay? <laughs> you think I'm kidding. Grandma didn't like Andy Griffith because Barney kissed the girls and Andy smoked cigarettes. But she was the best woman I've ever known. Because even though those were her standards and, and she would teach those standards, I can still remember my grandma saying, you know, man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And so even though that was her, that was her culture, that's where she came from, there was, a, there was a legitimacy to her in that she understood that this was a heart work. Holiness is a heart work, not a cultural work. And so some of you have been touched by that and And it's hard to separate because you've known these great people, probably some of the best people you've ever known that have lived it so true to those rules. But to followers of Jesus, it's more than just following rules. It's more than the do's and don'ts. It's about relationship with Jesus Christ. Holiness is a doctrine in which we believe we can have true, lasting, real relationship with Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's three things about rules. The first thing is rules can be cumbersome. Rules can be just something you lay on people's shoulders. When I practiced law in in Montgomery County, we had a a probate court, and... um, I can still remember his name, and it almost gives me shivers when I think of it. Neil, not Neil Luganville. The clerk of the probate court in Montgomery County. Oh, my goodness. He was terrible. He, that staple is in the wrong spot, in the wrong direction. You have to take it back and redo it. And, I mean, literally, it was, it, he, he had his rules. That ink is just a little bit too dark. That signature is needs to be, and, and, and he was a gatekeeper with these rules, and, and he was the enforcer bailiff, if you will. And I can remember 
because probate court wasn't something I did a lot, but I could remember that, that when I would occasionally have to file something in probate court going in like this. Oh, Lord, please help me. Please, not kneel, not kneel. Oh, it's kneel. <laughs> Rules can be like that. You know, there can be religious enforcers in the church. And there were religious enforcers at the time of Jesus. And they were called Pharisees and Sadducees. And they took the word of God. They took the Bible and they created this code around the Bible. Some of the things that they created were just interpretations. A lot were just interpretations. The truth is, in a lot of ways, when you would look at the Pharisees and the scribes, on the outside, on the culture, on on some of the things that they would do and how they honored God's word and how they lived their lives, if we were going to just guess who would be closest to Jesus in this culture, it'd be the Pharisees and scribes. These were people, and see, you know, we read Pharisees and scribes and we think evil, and they're not. But they were rule keepers. And they were people who liked to enforce the rules. And what you see in the scripture is constant conflict between Jesus and and scribes and Pharisees between Jesus and the rule keepers, Jesus and the religious enforcers. You know, they had this devotion to the rules. They they had it down pat. They had the culture down pat. And it was dangerous, frankly, to a relationship that relied on God. It was a false sense of religion. And so the Pharisees and the scribes and Jesus were in constant conflict. And as he moves to Jerusalem, it becomes the Sadducees. And the Sadducees are a little bit different than the Pharisees and the scribes. This constant conflict. In Matthew 23, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but in Matthew 23, Jesus blast the Pharisees. I mean, he's in Jerusalem. It's near the end. And he just lays in to the Pharisees. At one point, he says, you know, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. And see, a gnat was this unclean animal. You couldn't eat a gnat. I don't know why you'd eat a gnat, but you couldn't eat a gnat. And they would put gauze on top of their wine cups to, to keep an inadvertent gnat from flying in so, so that they wouldn't accidentally break the law by drinking a gnat. And, and Jesus is using this comical phrase because a camel is unclean as well. And he's saying, you're going to all these extreme things with your rules to keep from swallowing a gnat, but you're swallowing a whole camel by the way you live your lives. 
And that's part of Matthew 23, but he begins it like this. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you to do and observe, I'm sorry, uh, themselves in the chair. Therefore, all that they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds for they say things and do not do them. (laughs) They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, and they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. (laughs) Rule keepers. Folks, may we never be a church where we're just simply laying burdens on people's shoulders, but not lifting our fingers. See, their burdens did not lead to a deeper understanding of God. Their, their burdens, their rules did not lead to a deeper relationship with God. All it did was create heavy burdens for people to bear. Rules, number two, will not keep us around. Go ahead and show this video clip, Dave. I don't know if you've been reading the book, but, but that story stuck with me. We raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. You know, the same church that that I talked about earlier that was so legalistic, I've watched literally my entire family, other than not my immediate family, but my cousins that were part of that church, I've watched them all walk away from a faith that was based only on rules. Now, some of them over the years have, have begun to, 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 to grow back into another faith or, or come back to church in other ways, but, but almost every one of them rejected at some point this legalistic, rule-keeping view of Christianity. I raised her in church, but not in Christ. See, see, relationship keeps us. Rules don't. And maybe you say, well, pastor, I've kept the rules a long time. But, 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 but what about the next generation? What, what about those you're influencing? See, rules wears us down. But relationship builds us up. The final thing is this. Rules don't inspire grace. Uh, over and over, In the Gospels, we see this. We we see Jesus is this model of grace and mercy in opposition to rule-keeping Pharisees and scribes. Can we be honest? Some of the people that Jesus associated with and loved and demonstrated grace to didn't keep the rules. The Pharisees were right in saying they didn't keep the rules. And yet Jesus sees past this. We see this most apparently in Sabbath observation. Now, you're aware that at the time of Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees had a big spectrum of rules regarding Sabbath observation. As a matter of fact, at the time of Jesus... Probably the primary rule, the primary commandment was Sabbath observation. And so they had all sorts of rules 
dealing with the observing of the Sabbath. Some would say that that when we as a nation observe the Sabbath properly, Messiah would come. In other words, everything was hinged on this ideal of Sabbath observation. And and so they had all sorts of rules. And, And Jesus, I don't know if this is the correct way to say this or not, poked at the Sabbath rules over and over. Over and over again, Jesus did things and healed particularly on the Sabbath because many of the scribes and the Pharisees said, you can't heal on the Sabbath. Luke 13 tells this story. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on on the Sabbath. There was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began began glorifying God. Now, can we stop there? Most rational people would say, great, right? (laughs) But the synagogue official, indignant, Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which we work. Work should be done. So come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites. And when you hear the word hypocrites, I've always heard that word as this harsh rebuke from Jesus. A hypocrite is basically an actor. That there's this, that, that we're in a false face, but inside they're different. And, and so it's, it's, a, it's a Greek word for hypocrite. And, and I think when you read that word, I, I don't think it's this harsh condemnation that Jesus uses. I think it's pity. I, I think it's sadness. I, I think it's sorrow that Jesus looks at someone and says, you, you're wearing a mask and you're fake and your inside doesn't match up what your face is showing. You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? But this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all of his opponents were being humiliated. And the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him over and over and sometimes Jesus does it in a way you say well you know maybe some would question whether healing on the Sabbath was really a violation of the rules but but sometimes Jesus would do it in a way where where they couldn't they couldn't escape that he was doing work or their definition of work for example Jesus spits in the dirt and makes mud. He's making clay. And, and they go to a great deal in the scripture to use the word clay, which is a work term. Je- Jesus has the man who's laying at the, the pool of Bethesda pick up his pallet and walk, causing him to walk to accomplish his healing. Over and over, Jesus does it. So, so it's not just accidental, but Jesus is deliberately, intentionally addressing their fixation with the rules regarding the Sabbath. Oh, Pastor, that's a Sabbath, and we understand we're beyond that. But, you know, there's times in the Scriptures where, where Jesus even goes beyond that. 
In John 8, we have what I consider probably one of the most extreme examples of the grace of Jesus in the midst of rules. And it's the woman caught in adultery. Can we agree that she's worthy of death? Right? Sin is worthy of death. Can we agree, church, that sin is worthy of death? This isn't some... This isn't some rule that scribes and Pharisees had put together in interpreting Scripture. This was one of the top ten that God had described, that God had enacted the sin of adultery. And, 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 when, and when we see this, we, you know, the question is, well, what about the man? There's all these other issues, but there can be no question that there is sin that has been committed. And Jesus has brought this woman in there and said, what should we do with her? It's a, it's a trick, it's a trap. Because if Jesus says, well, your laws say, stone her, then he alienates the masses and the multitudes that are following him. And if he says, well, I think you need to leave her alone, then he alienates the religious folks. So it's a deliberate test to put Jesus in a spot where there's no good answer. And the, and the scripture says that Jesus bent down. It's, it's, it's an awesome image. Jesus bends down and he's writing in the dust and there, there's all sorts of, of, of descriptions. Some suggest that Jesus is writing the sins of the people that are standing in the crowd. Some, some suggest that, that Jesus, and I think there's a lot of this in there, that Jesus is intentionally diverting the attention from the woman to him. That they've asked for an answer and Jesus just begins to doodle and, and stoop in the, and write in the dirt. And, 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 and no longer is this lady who is caught in adultery the focus, but Jesus becomes the focus. You know, there's something beautiful about a Savior that will take the focus when we're caught in sin. So he's writing in the dust and, and they won't say anything, you know, you've not saying anything. And finally, they say, what should we do? And Jesus says, let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Oh. One by one, they begin to drop their stones, their rocks and walk away. So I, as I imagine this sin or this scene, I I tend to see that the older ones tend to probably drop them first. <laughs> the older I get, the more aware I am that sometimes I just don't get it. That I may be a little dense at times. <laughs> Anybody else like that? I feel like I'm getting dumber the older I get. <laughs> Eventually, there's no one there. And Jesus turns to the woman and says, Where's your accusers? They left. I don't accuse you either. Go and what? Sin no more. So, Pastor, are you, are you advocating no rules now? <laughs> you know, Tara and I were married, and there were all sorts of things. <laughs> you know, the, the, you got the vows. I can't remember what we said. You know, I was so in awe of her. You tell her I said that. Now, see, that's my anniversary <laughs> gift for her. You know, all the vows, love and honor and respect and until death do us part. And he, you know, I, I don't honor Terry because of something I said at an altar 25 years ago. 
I, 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 I'm not true to Terry, you know, because that's the law. I'm true to her because I love her. And my relationship with her matters. So, so is this an elimination of rules? No. But rules do not come before relationship. Relationship comes before rules. And we love Jesus by serving him and being obedient to him. But we're not obedient to him to gain his pleasure. You are saved by grace, not by works, lest any man boast, as Amy talked about today. And folks, we are saved by grace from the beginning to the end. When I stand before the heavenly throne, before I stand before my God and King, He won't say, hey, Paul, come on in. You pastored, you were obedient, you followed the rules, but He'll say, come on in by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. You have been forgiven. Followers are defined by a love relationship with Jesus. Doesn't mean that standards get lower, but it means standards are less important than that love relationship with Jesus. And it means when people begin to become part of a church and we begin to love them, the first thing we don't teach them is the rules but how to fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus Christ because we just believe that when the Spirit gets to working on people, it can do the things we cannot do. So let me ask you, is your spiritual walk defined by rules or relationship? Stand with me if you will. Amy, are you in here somewhere? Can you come and just play? We're doing some design things differently and after this service, uh, you know, we're going to have a time of just conversation, kind of talk about finances. If you guys like to talk about finances, say amen. Okay, nobody does, neither do I. But, you know, just Sunday school hour, we're going to share in here and hope you, you, you're able to stay. But, um, you know, we, we've done some, some tweaking of, of the way we do our, our worship settings, and, and it's intentional. It's not that we don't value announcements, but, but, but we have multiple avenues for you to get announcements, including bulletins and on screen and by email and all sorts of different ways. And, and, and I tend to believe that in the church, particularly if I, if I had my way, you know what we'd have? We'd have two-hour services. <laughs> and we'd just take the time and do it. Practically, I can't do that. So we have like an hour and 10 minutes. And so when I eat up 10 minutes of my time with announcements, I don't give a space at this point to respond or we have to rush through response. This is, this is an important time. It's not just about hearing God's word, but it's responding to God's word. And the truth is, you can take what we've talked about and, and, and you can leave here and you can go home and you can pray about it and you can ponder it. And that's fine. Uh, you know, God, I was sanctified in a 19, I can't remember what year it was, 1996 Toyota Corolla. Blue. Four speed. It was, it was slick. But there's something special right now, right here. There is. We've gathered as God's people around his word. 
the presence of the Holy Spirit is here. The word is fresh. I, I believe because I've experienced it, and I do experience it still, I, the, the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. Conviction, your, your, your heart's beating a little bit and, and, and you've been reading this book and you're gathered here and you got friends and family and people that love you around you that'll pray with you. So I think it's, it's good to respond here. This isn't the end, but it's good to respond because there's something when we come to an altar, it's that breaking down, that humility, you know, that, that willingness to say, okay, here I am, God. And sometimes just taking a step out makes a big difference. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Maybe the Spirit's talking to you. And you just need to respond with some prayer time at the altar. I'm going to wait just a few moments, and I'm going to let us sit down. We'll have some prayer time. If you'd like to come, can you look up here just a second? I don't want to offend anybody. I really don't. And if I have, you know, talking about this, it's, it's not my intention. But, but can, I, can I just share from my heart where God's working in my life? For, for most of my life, I've seen holiness in a way that, not from all, but from some, where holiness is a doctrine about not drinking and smoking and dancing and movies and those things. And, and even still, every once in a while, I'll hear, well, you can't be part here if you fill in the blank. And it troubles me. It troubles me. If our doctrine, this great doctrine of holiness, is about drinking, dancing, and smoking, and that's it, then it's not much. See, see I believe I'd like to be the church where the doctrine is taught. And instead of people saying, you can't go to that church if you drink and smoke or dance, wouldn't it be better to be the church that you can't go to that church unless you're willing to unconditionally forgive people who've harmed you? You know, that, that's a holiness church. When you step in that church, you need to be aware those people are radical in their generosity. When you step into that holiness church, those people love like Jesus Christ. That's holiness to me. All these other things, they're great. They're fine. But holiness, hard holiness, is a change of heart where I'm radically generous, where I love people, where I forgive people, where I'm willing to go and do what other people aren't because the Holy Spirit empowers me. Are we tracking? I'm not making light of traditions. But I am saying there's got to be more that defines us than rules. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I'm glad that your Holy Spirit makes intercession when we don't know what to say. For for whatever reason, Lord, this, this sermon's laid heavy on my heart.
And I realize, Lord, that, that as you talk about these things, for some, they're dear and near. It's not a mark of, of a lack of spirituality. But Lord, it, it may be the wrong emphasis. You know, I love my tradition. I love my church. It's all I've ever known. Some of the greatest people I've ever known have called themselves Nazarene. And you're, yet, yeah, Lord, I think you're calling us to something deeper than rules. And if these rules are what define us, and we're missing out on the richness of relationship with you, if we're missing out on the reality that it's your spirit that creates life change, not rules, will you direct us? Lord, I've tried to be as honest and open as I can as I talk about these things. And I, Lord, I, I realize every time I, I step behind a pulpit, every time I stand up here and preach, I run the risk of offending. I don't want to. And I certainly didn't want to today. But Lord, I want us to be true to you. And I want to be true to you. Lord, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And then I think about Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was sometimes misunderstood. And Jesus was sometimes accused of things that wasn't true. And so Lord, help me to be true to your word. Help us to be true to your word. Regardless of the consequences, may we be deeply in love with you filled with your spirit, loving people in radical ways because that's how Jesus loved. Now, Lord, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you our lives. And we ask you, Lord, to take these words, this time, this, this opportunity to be in your presence as a time to create life change within us. Lord, I'm, a, I'm open for your spirit to move in me whatever you want. Be with us. Bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.